book of Ephesians chapter 4. This section has been a just a treasure trove for myself as I've gone through here and I trust that the Lord challenged us this morning. And if need be, I would encourage you to go back and, and even if need be, re-listen to this morning. The passage that we're dealing with in Ephesians 4 verse 25 is dealing with our speech. In fact, the majority of the passage that we have ahead of us is all dealing with our words. Why is that? Because our speech is the first indicator of our what? Of our hearts. Out of the abundance of the mouth, uh, out of the abundance of the heart, (laughs) the mouth speaks. And... I've told many people through the years that if you learn to be a good listener, people will tell you volumes about themselves if you'll listen. And so here for the church of Jesus Christ, this is what He has for us. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor for we are members one of another. If there should be something that brings God glory in the church by Christ Jesus, it ought to be His truth. The truth of His mystery being worked out in our individual lives and bringing people together to form local New Testament assemblies. And within those congregations, those churches, which are the body of Christ, to see His truth propagated and sown and watered and nurtured in our lives and through our lives, one to another, I can't hardly think of anything that would be more thrilling than to see that happening in all of our lives and in the churches in our nation. I mentioned to my wife earlier uh, today during lunch that I just pray that instead of truth being set like the light of the sun, that truth would rise like the dawn of the morning in our nation. And to be able to see something like that and to see Christ exalted like that would be really to watch something that is a marvel beyond all marvels to see the very power of the Lord. We learned this morning that Paul is quoting the prophet Zechariah. And that in Zechariah chapter 8, Zechariah deals with the redeemed of the Lord, that they are to be people of truth and righteousness. They dwell in the city of our God, a city called the city of truth. And that they are to speak truth one to another. And we are to lay aside anything that is not of the truth. And so when he quotes this, he begins by telling us, first of all, to lay aside falsehood. And we learn that that just doesn't mean that we are not to tell lies. But it means that we are to lay aside all forms of falsehood, that is the lie, 
That is anything that inherently originates within our own nature or our own heart. That Satan himself, when he speaks a lie, he speaks out of his own nature. He's not speaking as a reflection of who Christ is. He's not speaking as a reflection of the words of God, but he is speaking of that which originates within himself. And if you think about the number of lies and deceit that are out there, you know that they are innumerable. People invent these things. But there is the truth. The truth as it is in Jesus. And we learn that when it says, speak truth in verse 25... It's not just saying be truthful, although that needs to be, but it means to speak the truth as it is in Jesus. If you look back at verse 21 of this chapter, Paul says, You didn't learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in who? Jesus Christ our Lord. And we are, to be, we are commanded to be continually speaking that truth that is in Jesus Christ. We are to be speaking truth in the person of Christ. In other words, in the place of Christ. Christ isn't here bodily yet. And so we are to be echoes, each one of us are to be echoes of His truth so that when we are speaking to someone else, it would be as if who was speaking to them? Christ was speaking to them. And we are to be speaking in that way. In this way, we are seasoning our speech with grace that we are speaking the truth as it is in Him. And it is that truth which is sown in our hearts. It's that truth which is nurtured and watered by what we say. And it's that truth that is nurtured by our praying for one another, that that seed in our hearts, just like Jesus sowing the seed in the hearts of people, that that seed finds good ground, it takes root, the plant arises, and it brings forth much fruit for the glory of Christ. We are to be continually speaking that one to another, each one of us, regardless of our age, Regardless of our maturity level, regardless of our economic status, this is our mutual responsibility. And this is a command. This isn't an option. This is a command straight from the mouth of the Lord. And if we want to glorify God the Father in the fulfillment of the fruit of that mystery in which He is working out in the church by His dear Son, then we are to be walking in this fashion. This is what Christ wants to see in our church. This is what Christ wants to see in all of His New Testament congregations. And the reason why we are to be doing that, verse 25, is because we are members one of another. We are not living our lives, or better yet, we should not be living our lives like we did prior to our being saved. Individualistic, independent, not caring, me first, it's all about me. When the Bible says we're to love God with all of our heart, 
and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And there's no love in there for me. It's all for Him. And folks, when we fully love Him supremely, we will ourselves receive His love in our own souls. Our hearts will be enlarged so that we are more loving and more caring one to another as that overflows in our life under this sun. Now this afternoon I want to talk about this topic of renewing our minds to speak truth. And this really flowed out of the end of the message and I was trying to come down with a point or two that I wanted to emphasize to close out that message. And really the more I wrote, the more that came out and so I decided I would just move this into the afternoon message. Now folks, if we're going to do this, it's going to take supernatural grace. This isn't going to happen because you just determine by your own will to do this. It's going to take a transformation of the spirit of our minds. And you'll see that in verse 23. That you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, first of all, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. It's going to take a supernatural work of God. Now, thanks be to God, He is ready and willing to do that in our lives. This is part of the fulfillment of His mystery, that we be conformed into the image of His dear Son. So first of all, to do this, To speak truth in Jesus demands that you know the truth as it is in Jesus. Folks, we got to labor to do this. I, I think most believers like it to be handed to them on a silver platter. And you'll recall several weeks ago I made the statement that God works through our existing faculties. He works through the mind. And so we need to labor to be transformally <clears throat> to be transformed by that relational knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this is going to take two aspects. It's going to take first of all knowledge. <clears throat> You've got to know your Bible. And secondly, it's going to take wisdom. Wisdom, it's been commonly said, wisdom is the proper application of your knowledge. It's one thing to know something, right? It's another thing to be able to utilize it in your life and in the life of others as you are speaking to them. And brethren, this is exactly what Paul prayed. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 17 when he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of what? Of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. We need both. And Solomon would say in the book of Proverbs, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. 
But as you get wisdom, get also understanding. Understanding, knowledge, wisdom are all hinged on each other. And so I found in my ministry, many times you can ask a person a factual question and they can answer that question accurately and scripturally. But when you ask them, all right, how do you implement it in your life? They give you a blank look. That's not faulting them. That's saying that we need knowledge and wisdom in how to use what we know from the text. And this is exactly in measures, different words, but what Peter says in 1 Peter that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So first of all, we need to settle in our hearts that each one of us, not just the pastor, not just the pastor and the deacons, not just the pastor, but not his wife, each one of us needs to come to know the truth as it is in Jesus. We don't know the truth by default. You don't get it by just merely praying for it. Should we pray for it? Yes. Yes, But you're going to have to open your Bible. You're going to have to read and try to understand hard things. Why are they hard? First of all, because God is above our minds. But the second thing is, is that you and I have a spirit, we have a sinful nature that's trying its best to get you not to understand it. So there's that battle that is going on. Secondly, and I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Speaking the truth in Jesus demands, secondly, that we are speaking truth in Jesus internally. Brethren, it's not just that we wait until we're in a situation where we need to know how to speak rightly. It's that we need to be speaking rightly internally how often? All the time. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, Paul's answering an accusation they were accused of walking in the flesh. And Paul says, well, we do walk in our bodies. We're not perfected spirits, verse 3, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Let's just pause there. Do we have weapons? They're not of the flesh, meaning not as you naturally think how you ought to be warring in a situation. They're not of the flesh, but, look at verse 4, divinely powerful. We have weapons that are not of the flesh, and they have been gifted to us by God, and they are powerful. Powerful for what? Verse 4. For the destruction of fortresses. Does everybody see that? Now folks, those fortresses 
have been explained in verse 5. What are the fortresses that need to be destroyed, that can't be destroyed by warring according to the flesh? What are those fortresses? Verse 5. Destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against what? The knowledge of God. Everybody see that? In other words, folks, every one of us, even as believers, but more so as lost people, they have in their minds built up castles with thick walls and high walls so that when you speak to them the truth, the truth can't get through their speculations and reasonings. Their reasonings and their speculations are so tight in their minds that nothing can reach them. They are safe behind the wall of that castle. Where's it at? In their minds. So when you sit there and you bring up, well, you need to be born again. You say, how am I going to know what their fortresses are? They'll tell you. They will immediately start telling you all their defenses on why they disagree with you. And these are things that they have come settled within themselves that they're right and they're absolutely correct about. And they have built this castle. Now folks, we have weapons. It's called truth. That are divinely powerful. And those weapons that are divinely powerful, the truth is for one purpose. That is the destruction of fortresses in people's minds, including yours. Did you hear that? Your mind. The things that you have come to certain defenses about on why you can or can't follow God in this. Or why that's not applicable for you. Or why you are an exception to this. They are fortresses. And folks, the truth is there, verse 5, to destroy speculations. And every lofty thing, these are things that flow out of our pride. Every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And this is going on in our hearts and minds. It's going on right now. It's going on during preaching. Because you're thinking in your heart. You're either wide open in grafting, or you're saying, I disagree, here's why, here's eight reasons why. These are things that are going on in the hearts of human beings everywhere. Everywhere. Now folks, what we're to do, verse 5, is to handle our own internal warfare. We are to take 
every thought. Did you read that? Every thought. We're to take every thought what? Captive. We're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now folks, if I was to ask you today how many thoughts you've had, how many thoughts do you think you've had today? I think it's safe to say they are without number. Every thought that enters into your mind, every speculation, every opinion, every lofty thing, we are to take captive and we are to bring that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And folks, that is why I say to you, if you're going to speak the truth as it is in Jesus to one another, well, you do have to know the truth, right? But you're also going to have to speak the truth to yourself. To yourself. Folks, we can only properly be ready to speak the truth to others in a particular situation if we have first brought our own thoughts into the captivity of Christ. And this is what he says, I think he's saying this, if you look at verse 5, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, verse 6, and we are ready to punish all disobedience. That means to the obedience of Christ. Ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Our obedience needs to be complete in us in order for us to be a help to someone else. Folks, it is our default pattern to look on things by appearance. And you'll see that in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 10. He says, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. Everybody see that? That's our default way of understanding things. We understand things by our physical senses, whereas the Scripture tells us to understand things by the eyes of our understanding. I love in Proverbs, I don't know if any of you reading through Proverbs today remember something like this. It says, the eyes of a wise man are in his head. In other words, he can see. He sees the way things really are. And that means that we have to bring our thoughts captive because, brethren, ultimately what you say to someone will flow out of the abundance of your heart and of your mind. The way that you are thinking. Thirdly, we've got to know the truth 
We've got to combine it with wisdom. And we've got to use it first of all on ourselves. Thirdly, <clears throat> speaking truth in Jesus demands forethought. I don't know how many parents say this today, but I heard it a lot growing up. You need to think before you speak. How many parents remember either having heard that or said that? Okay, you got to think before you speak. That that is good advice. And that is what I mean by taking forethought. Because it is easy for us to do things out of self-centeredness. Not because God has been offended. It's because we have been offended. And many times, not only do we do things because we've been offended, but sometimes we'll take up the offense for someone else. In other words, I'm really good at meddling in other people's problems and then taking an offense about their problems. Have you ever done that? I know you've done that. We've got to take forethought in our own responses. Speaking the truth in Jesus demands that the target of what we're saying is someone else's edification in Christ. And folks, what that means is that to the best of our ability, we need to be really careful that we just don't speak spontaneously. Now, I don't mean by that that if someone asked you a question that you have to say, I'll get back with you in a week. Let me take some forethought about it. Now, you might have to at times. Take some time. But at least not to instantaneously blurt out something. But to pause and think through. And I generally do this while the other person is talking. It's not that I'm not listening to them. But as I'm listening to them, I'm praying, Lord... What do you want me to say in this situation? What can bring this person to a better understanding of Christ about this situation? What can I say to that lost person that can bring them a step closer to being saved than what they were prior to meeting me? Everybody everybody see what I'm saying? I'm asking for the Lord to bring to my mind passages, truth, that I can communicate in such a way that it can strike home in the heart of that person. If you speak spontaneously, or you speak in an outburst, or you speak out of rage, I can almost say you will not be speaking the truth as it is in Jesus. I heard a pastor say, and I agree wholeheartedly, that the things I most regret in my ministry are the things that I said out of anger 
things that I said spontaneously without giving thought to it, those are the things that grieve me the most. And I know that that would probably be true with every one of us here. And folks, because of that, because this demands forethought, it probably means that whatever the situation is that you're addressing, you're not going to be able to take a cookie-cutter approach. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels that Jesus never approached the same person the same way? Did you ever notice in almost all cases He never healed people the same way? Sometimes He may spit on the ground and make spittle. And you're like, why couldn't you just say the word? That's what you've done before. But He did it that way. Most cookie-cutter approaches, though they are helpful to give you kind of an outline on where you're to be thinking, ultimately fail. Why? Because you're not addressing the fortress that's in that person's mind. You've got to understand what's keeping this person from taking a step to Christ. I've got to know what that is so I can address it. And folks, the Lord was gloriously beautiful in this aspect, wasn't He? I mean, here He is. I've said this before. Nicodemus. I know you're a good teacher. I would have probably said, thank you. (laughs) Jesus says, you must be born again. He got exactly to Nicodemus' root question, didn't he? But that's the only time I have recorded in my Bible where he was kind of that direct with a person. With the rich young ruler, he says, well, you know the law. I don't think I've ever used that with anyone. And so, folks, we've, we've, got to, we've got to take our knowledge and wisdom, we've got to apply it to ourselves, and then we've got to take forethought for what we're saying and prayerfully how we're saying it. Fourthly, speaking truth in Jesus demands that we speak knowledgeably <clears throat> according to their perspective, even if it's wrong. Now let me explain this just for a second. The Bible teaches in general that every man does what is right in their own eyes. That means that people hold their positions because they think they're right. Right? Okay. So, if I'm coming to them and I know that their position is not according to the truth, well, they're wrong. But as I speak to them knowledgeably, I need to speak knowing what that perspective is so that I can, as it were, 
put the weapon in the right location. Now folks, for lost people, they believe they're right. But it's a darkened right. It's a right with no knowledge and no understanding. And lost people think that they're right and they know that they're right until God shows up. And then when God shows up, they go fleeing to the rocks and to the caves. But until He shows up, they think they're what? They're right. For an immature believer, they think that what they're doing is right, but it might be a childish right. I mean, children have opinions and they make decisions, don't they? But as a parent, and you hear some of those decisions, you, you just think to yourself, well, uh, we'll, see. we'll see how life comes along. When I was a little boy, I just knew. I knew. I was dogmatic. I was going to be a fireman. Ta-da! I hope I put out fires, but not that kind. Right? Then I wanted to be an archaeologist. I knew when I was in high school, I knew that I wanted to be an archaeologist and I wanted to go to Egypt. I wanted to study Egyptology and I read all the books in the library about Egyptology and Egypt history and it's really come to help as now I'm in the ministry. But in any case, I read all it. I, I was dead sad. I was looking at colleges. Where was archaeology? I just knew. And I would tell my parents all these dreams that I had. And I'm sure my parents just said, that's nice. But as a child, I just knew I was what? I just knew I was right. But folks, you you got to deal with that knowing that that's how they're thinking. And for others, sometimes when we speak truth, we have to navigate the prejudices of other people. People have hurts. I wish it wasn't so, but Christian people hurt other people. They don't always do it voluntarily, but they do. But the way our Lord stated truth was just, I'm going to use this word properly, it was just awesome. I would have never written on the sand paused and looked up and said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Because I just know somebody would be there and say they're sinless. But that was the right response, wasn't it? And it was the appropriate response. Fifthly, we need to speak truth in Jesus. Speaking truth in Jesus demands that we speak the truth in love. And you know that we've seen that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, but speaking <clears throat> the truth in love. And folks, this is a grace of which we need more. Speaking the truth in love requires an attitude of giving up oneself to God for the good of another. 
And you'll see that in Ephesians 5, verse 2. Look at what it says. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave Himself up for who? Us, you. Everybody see that? He loved us. He's the embodiment of truth. He loved us and gave Himself up for the good of us who didn't even deserve it. Now what does it mean to speak that truth in love? Well, it means a lot. But it means this. Folks, you don't speak to one another just to show that person you're right. If if I'm pressing the point that I'm right and they're wrong, who's the focus? It's me. That's not giving myself up for the good of someone else. Now, no doubt, if you're speaking truth, you're what? You're right. But I think without giving a lot of explanation, you understand the difference between me saying in my demeanor and my speech, I'm right, you're wrong, versus here's the truth. And God is right in this matter. Because, folks, if we, if we speak the truth just to prove we're right, what we're really trying to do is get them to bow down to me, not to God. Right? I want them to humble themselves before me, to bow the knee to me, to say, you are Lord, you're right. And I'm ashamed to say, but I will say it, that many times, because we're believing people and we have very strong viewpoints about the truth, rightfully so, If we're not taking forethought, we can come across as as demanding that people agree with me instead of agreeing with Christ. If we speak in such a way that we're trying to show people that Christ is right, then at the end of the day, they bow their knee to who? to Christ and not to me. Now you may think that's easy. It is not easy. And you may think, well, that is easy for them to perceive that. I, I think a lot of lost people think you're just trying to get to Lord over them. Now, in some ways, you can't help that. 
But what we want to speak, when we speak the truth in Jesus, we want to show God as righteous. We want people to bow to Him. Because there's only one Lord. This is difficult for us because we are so easily offended. As Brother Sheffy would say in a film, and he probably didn't say it, mm-hmm. we're very proud critters. And because we're prideful, we're easily hurt ourselves. And when we get hurt ourselves, our tendency is to be like an animal backed into a corner. And to really go after that person for our sake instead of showing them the truth as it is in Jesus for Christ's sake. And you know 1 Corinthians 13. This is going to demand that we speak patiently. Oh boy. Am I the only one impatient? The only one that wants people to get it the first time I tell them. To speak patiently. To speak in appropriate kindness. To speak with no envy as I am speaking. To speak the truth with no self-boasting or pride. We've already talked about that. To speak appropriately. To speak the truth in Jesus, not looking out for ourselves. To speak the truth to one another without getting provoked. If there was probably a shortcoming in my parenting in my much younger years, is that I thought that if I could show my children that I was provoked, that I could get better behavior out of them. And there are times we have to be angry and sin not, right? But cruciform love is not easily provoked. And this is the one that I think I hear people violating the most, and that is keeping a record of other people's offenses in order to slap back at them that long list. And you know what that means. Well, this is the 10,000th time you've done this. You did it when you were 8. And you did it when you were 10. And do you remember that situation when you were 13? And when you were 50, you were still doing it. What's your problem? You're 27 now. And you did it last week. What are you doing? Well, you're just giving them a whole list. A list that you wrote down in your conscience and in your heart. Now folks, there is a reality that you say to yourself, they've been doing this all their life. Right? But it doesn't affect speaking the truth in love to them. 
There's no breach there. We're not really helping people ultimately if all we're doing is condemning them. We've got to give them appropriate ways to work out of that, to be edified toward Christ. And we are to speak the truth in Jesus with enduring hope. That's a hard thing to do. Folks, as long as there's a God in heaven, there's hope. If you're trying to do this with the arm of the flesh, there's probably no hope. But as long as Christ is alive, and I'll give you a clue, He's going to be alive forever. There's hope. My wife and I had a situation this week where she had an opportunity to speak to someone she hasn't spoken to in several weeks maybe. And they had always been very antagonistic. And they were just wide open. (laughs) And my wife came home and said, you wouldn't believe it. You just wouldn't believe it. (laughs) And I didn't believe it. (laughs) And the more she told me, the more my heart just filled with gratitude. Enduring hope. You don't say to yourself, well, I've witnessed to them four times and they hadn't gotten saved and they're never going to get saved. That's not speaking the truth in love. That's not speaking with enduring hope. So folks, as we're looking back at this, you realize just how supernatural this is in the heart of fallen people. Just think, just think what would happen in our nation if our nation spoke the truth as it is in Jesus. What would happen in our nation if the people of America spoke the truth first of all to themselves? What would happen if they actually took forethought before they spoke? What would happen if they spoke appropriately and knowledgeably for the situation? What would happen if they spoke the truth in cruciform love? It almost feels like the wind of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? It's like you just think about something like that happening and there's just a relaxation in your spirit about how wonderful that would be. Sixthly, Speaking the truth in Jesus has no arena of exemption. Whether it's a parent speaking to a child, whether it's a child speaking to their parent, whether it's a husband speaking to his wife, whether it's a wife speaking to her husband, whether you're on an online forum on the internet, whether you're going to hit the like button or the dislike button, whether it's the media that you are watching and interacting with, 
whether it's a video, whether it's what you're reading, or what you write in a letter or an email, or a blog, it's what you're teaching. It's to be there in sermons. It's to be in all of our relational interactions of life. There's no arena of exemption in which we are not to be speaking truth in Jesus to every person. Are you sitting there and saying, wow? I did when I wrote this down. And seventh, speaking the truth in Jesus means that as believers, we will often... What did I write? Fail. Did you read that? I didn't say that we would we will fail. I said we will often fail. Why is that? Because there's only one person who has all knowledge. There's only one person that has all knowledge has all wisdom. And it's not me. And I'll give you a clue, it's not you. It's our Lord Jesus. Folks, somehow we've gotten the idea as believers that we can get somewhere where we won't fail. Now, we don't want to fail. Amen? We don't want to fail. We want to walk in perfect righteousness all the time. But the fact of the matter is, is that James says concerning teachers who use their tongues to teach, James says we all stumble in many ways. You're going to stumble in your speech. You're going to botch it. You're probably going to say things spontaneously. You're probably going to burst out in a rage. But we don't want to. We don't want to. Folks, this is part of growing up in all things in Christ. It doesn't begin merely with what you wear, where you go, where you don't go. Those things are important. It means you're being transformed inside of you. And the first place that you're going to see that transformation is in your speech. I've given this illustration before, but prior to, and I hope you find this impossible to believe, but prior to 
my salvation, uh, my speech was horrific. Um, You may have heard the phrase, curse like a sailor. I was probably beyond that. I don't think I could say a sentence without uncleanness in it. And I got bored again. Isn't that wonderful? And immediately, my speech changed. And I remember, I was walking on the job site, had a hard hat on, and sometimes the men, the pipe fitters and welders and all that, sometimes if they saw you, who I was an engineer, so I was, I was up the food chain. When they saw you coming down, what they'd do is say, oops, and they'd drop their wrench. Now, a wrench is pretty heavy, especially when you drop it. And it would hit you on your helmet. You say, man, that's cruel. I'm not debating whether that's right or not. Okay, I'm just saying it happened. And when it happened, what came out of my mouth It wasn't like it was before, but it was still unclean. And I remember my heart struck me. Oh, my heart struck me. I think I repented for that for days. You say, well, you should have been more spiritual. 1 John 1 9 says that if you confess your sins, he's just and faithful. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit was trying to make a point. And to the best of my knowledge, I've never done it since. Why? Because there's a new abundance in my heart. Where is it seen? In my speech. In my speech. And folks, we are going to fail. Failure is a hard teacher. And I would encourage you, no matter what your age is, to learn by the Scripture. And to save yourself a heart of grief. A brother offended is hard to be won, Proverbs says. It's hard to win back what you lose because of your foolishness in not speaking the truth as it is in Jesus. Now folks, as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and close... As we just think about this, I think that you will see that this is true godliness. Folks, this is how God is. Does God think truth? Does He speak truth? Does He take forethought in His responses to people? He does. This is godliness. This is the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This is what's happening inside of us. 
Now folks, this is a very high standard for our speech. But I don't want you to be discouraged in well-doing. Wherever your maturity level is, learn and begin to exercise this internal right talk so that you will be able to speak rightly to others as you capture every thought into the captivity, the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now folks, this is so critical that in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 10, Peter writes, after exhorting us not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing, he says, verse 10, he quotes from the Psalms, the one who desires life to love and see good days. Do you want good days? Do you want to see good days? The one who desires life to love and see good days must keep their tongue from what? Life and death are in your tongue. And a good man out of the abundance of his heart will speak truth and goodness in agreement with God and with the Scripture. He will watch over his mouth. David prayed, set a guard over my lips. And if you want more instruction on that, get you a piece of paper and start in Proverbs chapter 10 and write down everything that deals with your speech. You will need more paper. This is wisdom. May God grant to us the ability to speak the truth and walk in the holiness of truth all the days of our life. Let's pray together.